Here's the thing though. Welcome to the Here's the Thing Though podcast, our first episode of the year. My name is Saliha and I'm your host for today. I'm here with my producer slash editor, Mitch Price. Hello. Before we begin, we'd like to acknowledge the Darug and Kuringai people who are the traditional owners of the land that we are recording on today. We'd like to pay our respects to all First Nations people past, present and future and acknowledge that we're recording on stolen land and that sovereignty was never ceded. Hello everyone, it is so nice to be back. Uh, I mean, it was also really nice to have two weeks off and do practically nothing in those two weeks. It's not long enough, but we are back and we are super pumped and excited, pretty refreshed, got some new ideas. You guys are going to have some good episodes coming soon, we're very excited. Mitch, how are you? How was your break? I've been good. I had a very lovely New Year and Christmas, etc. Though I'm a bit concerned that I've just forgotten how to do this. So <laughs> I, I guess we'll see. I know. Even just like sitting here, I had like so much brain fog trying to like plan this episode because I just like have not used my brain in like two weeks. But we're doing it. We, I think we just have to start and then we'll just kind of get in the groove. That's, exactly. what I, that's what I'm hoping for. This is the fifth take, by the way. <laughs> no. no, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> um... My Christmas was lovely. I spent it with Mitch and his family. Um, New Year's was very nice as well. And that was pretty good for me because I normally have quite a shitty New Year's. Well, no offense, Mitch, who I spent New Year's with last year (laughs) as well. But I just feel like this was kind of my first like really good New Year's where I actually really vibed and was really relaxed. It was just nice. There's just good energy. So hopefully hopefully that's a, a signal that 2021 will be an improvement. I mean... But I'm not too hopeful. Yeah, I was going to say, like, it felt too good to be true that Christmas and News was actually really nice. I was like, oh, I'm just waiting for the other shoe to drop. <laughs> <laughs> but we did really enjoy having our time off. Now we're back. Um, and with the start of our work week, uh, COVID has also made a resurgence in New South Wales. Mouse and our mandatory. Uh, we've got five person limits at home. It's kind of getting pretty shit again, which was not entirely unexpected, but it is what it is. I was super unplugged, to be honest. Over the last couple of weeks, I had no idea what was going on. I was like barely online. You guys would have noticed my Instagram has been like pretty much non-existent for the last couple of weeks, but it's been good to be off my phone. Uh, I have some follow-up before we get into today's episode. I just wanted to discuss some of the really positive feedback that we got from our last episode on Christmas culture. Uh, It was really good. I particularly had a lot of Jewish listeners reach out and talk about how they have, you know, pretty much the same experience as us Muslim people around Christmas and other Christian holidays, which makes sense. But it was really nice having a bunch of you reach out and just kind of discuss the various ways that we have had to deal with uh, these kind of Western Christian holidays shoved down our throats. So I loved vibing with you guys. And I'm just very glad that that episode did so well because I was worried that it would be a bit niche. But turns out it was a lot more relatable than Were I thought it would be. Were you expecting it to resonate with other cultures as well? Or did you feel like it was very singularly uh, a Muslim experience that you are articulating? I think, you know, it makes a lot of sense that a lot of people found it relatable. And in the moment, I definitely should have thought about it, but I just like didn't. Like I was just speaking from experience and I kind of forgot that like <laughs> there are so many cultures that aren't like, that are like me, you know, just like not the norm, I guess, or not what the calendar is built on. Um, but yeah, so it was, it was just nice to vibe with so many people of so many different cultures and religions that are not celebrating Christmas. Exactly. I, I mean, it does make perfect sense, but it's also like while your experiences are very specific as it's your specific culture intermerging with the uh, the Western Christian holiday, 
it also does reflect on the somewhat universal experience of the sort of colonialism of Western ideology. Yeah, it's and like holidays, the universal experience of everyone who doesn't do Christmas. Exactly. <laughs> Which is good, some solidarity. Yeah. So just just want to mention it because it was super nice and it made me very happy. So this week we are going to be talking about New Year's resolutions. Um, mostly kind of just all the commodification and like the toxic ideology that comes with celebrating a new year. I'm sure you guys are all aware of just like the gross kind of diet culture and stuff that comes with New Year's. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about commodification of New Year's. We're just going to get into why we're kind of, we don't really vibe with New Year's, lol. <laughs> As part of our episode prep, I did put up a story on Instagram asking people what their New Year's resolutions were if they did them. And if they don't do them, why not? A lot of you responded, which made me really happy. And there was actually like quite a decent range of answers, a lot of different answers. There are probably three main categories that like every answer fit in. There was those who actively do New Year's resolutions, those who actively don't, and those who are in between and that they set some goals, but they purposefully keep them vague and easy to stay on top of. They kind of avoid the actual term resolution. I'm going to say like soft goal setting if I had to define it as something. Um, But yeah, so this seems to be like a pretty decent range. Some of my favorite answers in terms of pro New Year's resolutions were ones around kind of keeping it basic or soft goal setting. So somebody said that they make, I think it was Isabella, that said that they make their resolutions basic just to feel accomplished. So things like keeping your lease or not failing uni, things that you know you're going to accomplish and you set them as a goal because then you do them and you feel good, which I love. I love that for you. Um, I'm personally probably against New Year's resolutions. So I really vibed with some of the following answers. Uh, Eloise said that she doesn't do resolutions because she finds them stressful uh, and that she changes her mind about her goals all the time. Same. <laughs> That's part of the reason I, I gave up on them is because I just have a new goal every two months anyway, so it's kind of hard to keep on top of it all. Uh, somebody else said that if they cared about a goal, they would just start it straight away. Uh, other people said that there was like too much pressure to be busy which I agree with as well. And we're going to get into that when we talk about kind of the pressures of capitalism and being a worker around New Year's. Uh, And then somebody else said they don't have one because it's just a bullshit notion created under capitalism to make us stay exhaustingly productive. Yeah, basically. (laughs) That's our podcast episode summed up today. But those were kind of, I guess, the two extremes. And then there was the in-between. People who like maybe don't actively say, I have a New Year's resolution, but they do set some goals a lot of people use the word themes yeah it set themes for the year uh somebody called juliet said they set a word which i found really interesting because i've never heard that before uh they said this year their word was abundance and then they would kind of focus on that term and try and like manifest it and work on like i guess creating abundance for the year which i found really fascinating really interesting way to do new years i've never heard that before um other people said they set intentions not goals Because then it feels less kind of like you have to do it. Like there's like KPIs that you have to hit. And more just like things that you want to be mindful of. Things that you want to increase in your life. Uh, Quite a few people said uh, themes that I mentioned just a second ago. Or like habits that they want to grow. Um, Or like reminders. You know, these really soft kind of gentle ways of like increasing a behavior or decreasing a behavior. Without actively kind of punishing themselves if they didn't get it. There was no sense of failure if you didn't do it. Which I vibe with. That's probably where I was before I stopped doing New Year's resolutions. (laughs) There was one particular answer that Mitch and I have been trying to decipher for like an hour now. Sarah. Um, Actually, Mitch, do you want to read it? Because this one's your favorite one. (laughs) It said, Sarah said... Eat 12 grapes. 
One grape, one wish. <laughs> um, hey, Sarah, if you want to, like, elaborate on that, we would love to know what that means. <laughs> I'm very perplexed. I'm thinking 12 grapes, one grape per month, and each grape eaten, she, like, has a wish. <laughs> Look, I have no idea what the grape thing means, but I respect it. I respect the grape thing. It feels it feels meaningful in a distant way. So Sarah, like you, you, Thanks, you, Sarah. you keep you keep you keep eating your grapes, Sarah. I believe in you. Anyway, <laughs> I really liked the answers that included capitalism or commodification in them because that's mostly how I feel. I used to do I used to be really into New Year's resolutions because I love feeling organized as somebody who is very chaotic and very manic all the time so it feels good to feel organized uh and i definitely used to buy into it a lot uh literally <laughs> by buying heaps of new stationery all that organizational equipment all those you know like for me i mean the last time i bought a planner was quite a while ago but when i would buy like a planner in the beginning of the year from typo and all the fancy glittery gel pens to write in it and all these little stickers to mark dates and like highlighters and i, I love that shit it feels so good it, it's like I love this it. is the day my life begins bro, this is when i get it all together bro the serotonin hits when i buy a new notebook or like something like that and new year's is the perfect time because they're all on sale it's all really like cute summery vibes about these glittery i love glittery stuff so i just like buy i have a shit it's not even, it's ridiculous how much stationery i have and it's all new year's shopping all of it you know then you like then i go and i buy like really healthy expensive like organic food because i'm like you know what this is the year i start eating salad <laughs> and then it's like then i like i mean in 2018 i like i got a gym membership which biggest regret of my life i gymmed for three months and i really loved those three months but then when i stopped going i paid so much fucking money for a gym i wasn't going to and then i tried to cancel my subscription and there was like a ginormous cancellation fee because i had been there for less than two years or whatever and it was just it was a mess it was a mess i lost so much money because of this you know obsession with like buying new things and like getting new subscriptions and all these exciting things that happen around the new year and honestly now like now i don't believe in it at all i'm super cynical uh, I've really lost my interest in New Year's, but I definitely used to really fucking buy into the commodity of New Year's. Nowadays, I just like, if I have a goal, I just like start the goal, like when I conceive of it. And I don't really give a shit what time of year it is because time is just a concept and I am super disillusioned in humanity and the world. So <laughs> anyway, uh, let's get into the link between New Year's Eve and capitalism. Like we mentioned in our last podcast about Christmas culture, this kind of end of the year slash beginning of the year, Christmas, New Year's break time is capitalism's favorite time when it comes to selling you things. If you're not buying gifts for everybody else, you are buying stuff for yourself because it's New Year's and you get to treat yourself because you're going to be a better person and you're going to earn all these nice fancy things that you buy. I'm sure a lot of you buy organizational products like I used to, calendars, notebooks, journals, diaries, gel pens, all of it, label makers, my dream etc etc or you're buying into the fitness stuff and you're getting you know like a fitbit or an apple watch or a portable smoothie maker or a fucking soda stream or whatever i don't know i don't even know what people buy these days but you know that kind of stuff it's also just like this time of year where all the new stuff gets to come out so like with fast fashion and things like fast fashion stores there's a, there's a new line there's a new scent the look of the year the look of the year it's new fashion season it's summer vibes it's the new collection for wherever you're shopping from it's just this commodity wheel turning over and over and over for more and more and more products 
and this whole like excitement around a fresh start means they get to sell you even more things because it's like you know what clean out your wardrobe get a new wardrobe you know what we're gonna change our style up because new year new me all of it is just like how can we re- replace every object we have even though we don't need to for the sake of feeling like a fresh start and the reason that we're getting convinced to do that is so that we buy more shit that we don't need exactly it's a very convenient period of renewal you know everything before that's old this is a period where you can now start again grow yourself and you can do that by buying these certain uh, commodities and products yeah and like even on the term of just buying stuff everything on new year's is so fucking expensive like i mean we were just talking about potentially booking a trip or something and i'm just like you know what i'm gonna wait till february (laughs) because trying to go anywhere during like the December, January time is so expensive. Airbnbs are like so much more expensive than the usual. Just like even just going to like your local, like I guess pub or wherever people go, like drinks are more expensive. You have to pre-book to get in and maybe put it down to deposit. Everything costs so much money. Airbnbs, bars, hotels, whatever, because it's just an excuse to charge you more for shit. Like it doesn't actually mean anything, but because it's like, this is a holiday period. This is when we're taught that we should be holidaying it's convenient to make everything more expensive because, you know, people are going to spend money. I was just talking to Mitch's mom actually yesterday um, because she was saying how she was like talking about using up her leave at work or whatever, or just like, you know, taking her leave and how like there's just an expectation that she takes it now because it's like the summer period and she was like actually considering about taking it later. But like, like oh, why don't you just take it now? Because it's like that time of the year, but she doesn't want to because she's like, but everybody is on leave right now and everything is expensive and everywhere is booked and I don't even really want to go on leave at the moment. I want to go later when things are calmer. And it's just like, and she can, she totally can and she probably will. But just like the expectation for us all to holiday now when things are at its most expensive because that's just, that's just works for the economy better. You know what I mean? That's, that's just capitalism, baby. <laughs> like that's what you should be doing. The new year itself is a commodity and a myth. It doesn't even exist. Like time is a construct. And I know like that's an outdated thing to say. Everybody says time is a construct for literally everything. But like it is. It's, I mean, even just like the current way we live our lives is like the Western way because other cultures live by like lunar calendars. Like, you know, there's things like Chinese New Year. And I mean, the Islamic New Year revolves around the lunar calendar as well. And our New Year is very different to like the Western New Year. The only reason I give a shit about New Year's is because I live in a society that revolves around it but it is a construct and it is not something that has always existed. And it's not something that other countries even will deal with depending on how like Western they are or what the predominant culture or religion is. It's a way that we're able to sort of bureaucratize time, make it fit for us, have these consumeristic and political traditions that happen on a cycle uh, and then sort of solidify themselves into the zeitgeist in our minds. Yeah. And honestly, it is just made to like distract from shit and make us feel like a fresh start is the answer. You know, um, I was thinking before I get into that, actually, there was a comic by, uh, yes, I'm hot in this on Instagram. She's like a hijabi woman who does like relatable web comics about Muslim life. Where she says she's never made a New Year's resolution because she waits until Ramadan to make all her goals. Because for us, that's our fresh start. Our renewal as Muslims is around Ramadan, which happens at any time of the year. You know, just I mean, it's different every year. So I find that like really interesting, like just the Western idea of New Year's and renewal versus like other cultures and when, and when we think renewal and fresh starts happen. But yeah, like, I mean, all of this as a Western construct, as a commodity, honestly just distracts us from what is actually going on. And it makes us think that like, oh, 2020 is over, time for a fresh start. Maybe next year will be better. 
as if like it was ever just 2020 that was responsible for our problems. I feel like it kind of just like masks what really are the troubles in society because all this stuff about like, I can't wait for 2020 to end. The new year is going to be different. Like, is it though? Like, is the problem 2020 or is it capitalism? It's like 2020 as a year, it doesn't matter. It could have been any year. It's irrelevant. The issue here is that is the way society is progressing and like the systematic things that are happening that have led us to where we are now. Um, it does frustrate me a little bit because I'm like, New Year's is just a distraction from the colonial and capitalist machine. It makes us think that change is possible because it's a new year, it's a fresh start. This year, guys, it'll be different. And it's not going to be different, not unless it's mass change because this is just what is happening. Like capitalism is running us into the fucking ground and we just will be like, next year, guys, next year, it'll be different. You know, fuck 2020. And it's like, not fuck 2020, fuck capitalism. Or like, fuck society. Or like, fuck whoever is in government at the time. Like, that is who is making these decisions. It's not 2020. 2020 is a concept. <laughs> and similar to how we rely on a, a specific period in the year, like, that's when we're meant to change ourselves. It's also like, you don't just change yourself by wanting to change yourself. It's often accompanied by, you change yourself by buying these products, by giving into these trends. Like specifically, there was uh, doing research for this. I was just reading all these New Year's articles, like the best New Year's uh, ideas and, and whatnot. One from the New York Post was five New Year's resolution ideas to keep 2021 realistic and sane. And many of the ideas and revolutions are just things to buy. The article was full of hyperlinks to healthier snacks. So like $3.75 energy balls or $8 pepperoni chips. An Amazon link to a book called Joy at Work. Helped, helping to organize your professional life and increase your productivity. And then the other link was to clear containers to organize your cabinets, just $3.99. If you just buy the right products or purchase the right self-help books, you too can live your best life. And it's, it's this idea that that best life is gated off to you until you buy these things which are associated with that way of living. It's even just the idea that you are responsible for your own misery there's this idea that like, oh, when you have a fresh start, it's on you. If you are more positive and you exercise more and you buy all these things and you do all these things and you think all these things and you manifest all these things, life will be better for you. When in actuality, we really have no say on how like 2021 is going to go as random people because it is not us that are making the decisions. You know, like with COVID-19 in like the US, it would be a very different story if the government had responded in a very different way and had actually taken the virus seriously and had actually supported uh, it's like citizens and et cetera. Like it's very different here than it is over there, right? And it's not because 2020 was trash that America is fucked because other countries are not fucked. The reason that it's trash is because the country is trash and because their government is trash. Um, but there's just, there's so much individualism that I really dislike when it comes to conversations around like misery and new years and how like, how to not be miserable next year and how to have a better year next year than this year, as if it was our fault that this year was fucking miserable. Like as if it, we had any say in the matter, like I still had to work in retail during peak COVID and my area that I was working in was a hotspot. I didn't have a, a choice any of that. I wasn't able to choose my fucking mental health and well-being in that scenario. I wasn't. I couldn't, like, if my New Year's resolution had been to put myself first more, I literally was not in a position where I could have done that. Exactly. Because I like, don't have a choice. Be more mindful. Well, some people just don't live lives that allow them to be present and mindful because there's expectations and there's things they have to fulfill. And I mean, I feel like I get caught up in the trap as well, especially with, like, I need to do these certain things or buy these certain things to really 
you know, being my best self. I mean, I do it every year. Yeah, you know, I think if I buy a notebook, I'm suddenly going to have the urge to write all the time. But <laughs> really, I have a dozen unwritten notebooks. And yeah, just- I'm the same. I'm like a look good, feel good kind of gal. I'm like, if I look good, I'll feel good. If I wear a good outfit, my mental health will be saved. <laughs> it means nothing, but it's just me. Like when you live in a society that like actively undoes the good things that you do, it's a coping mechanism, right? Like feeling like doing things is going to make me feel better is a coping mechanism, even if it's not true or it's not real because I can't single-handedly solve the problems. The things that fucking upset me are things like climate change. Like what am I going to do as an individual about climate change? Probably not that much. I can recycle all my shit and try not to buy fast fashion. But as an individual, I'm not creating a lot of change because it's like the fossil fuel companies that are destroying the planet. But I feel like all these ideas about buy this and do this and blah, 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 make us feel like we have more say than we do. And that way we don't actually hold the forces that be accountable. Right? Exactly. Yeah. So it's, I find it a huge distraction, all the commodity of it. Um, just the, even just the excitement, the buzz, the new look, all of it. There's so much, it's so focused on you. If you do this, things will be okay. If you do this, you will improve as a person. Well, none of us are broken. There is, I don't need in a lot of ways to improve in that regard. Obviously, I will work on my self-improvement all the time because I want to be a happy and fulfilled person. But like the reason I'm not a happy and fulfilled person is not because I don't do enough. It's because the world asks quite a lot of me and I struggle to fulfill that because we're not made to exist as like the workers that we currently do. It's kind of rigged against you in a lot of ways. It's really fucking hard to be fulfilled, you know? And I feel like it's, I mean, this is a good way to talk about New Year's Eve and mental health because it is a toxic time of the year just due to the glorification of like perfection or reaching perfection, especially bodily perfection. Um, New Year's Eve and New Year's resolutions often come with things like diet culture, you know, get that summer body back, get your body back into shape, new year, new me, let's get rid of that, you know, like isolation, weight gain or whatever it is. Like, I mean, to me, that particular part is like so dangerous because like people gaining weight during isolation is fucking fine because like they're just surviving and it is so predatory how many like companies or um just even like influences and shit that are selling stuff that are always like, let's lose our isolation weight together by my tummy tea. And I'm like, how are you preying on the vulnerable? People are surviving pandemics here and we're telling them to lose weight. It is fucking shocking and it's predatory and it is dangerous because you know what? Everybody right now is probably at their most vulnerable in a mental health state. I feel like I have developed so much social anxiety just by like not being out and now suddenly talking to people and I have no idea what I'm doing. It's pretty overwhelming. Um, and then on top of that, to have everybody like tell you, the media tell you, the you know, shopping center ads tell you, every influencer or person on Instagram that you follow who has an agenda and selling you products to make money because that's their living, are telling you that these are the things you need to do in order to be a better, more productive, happier person next year. And productivity is something that comes up a lot as well. Like it's not just about body and fitness and beauty and health. It's also like here are ways you can be more productive as if like that is my key concern during a pandemic is how much more of a productive worker I can be. As if the fact that we're all working during a global pandemic isn't like already a huge ref- reflection of how ridiculously productive we are all the time. I was reading an NBC article called New Year, Same Work Anxiety, How Capitalism Makes Work-Life Balance Feel Impossible. And something that I really liked about what it was saying 
was just like this idea of like unplugging and wellness and productivity and all these ideas about like how to be more productive, you know, take frequent breaks, log off every weekend, et cetera, et cetera. But it's just like, that's not possible. We are being like, there were so many expectations as a worker, even in the pandemic, you know, like we were all expected if you're a retail worker or, or, you know, quote unquote essential worker, like all of us still had to work at our retail stores. I worked in a hotspot for so long. I had customers coming in with no masks, coughing all over me. And I really didn't have a choice because if I had like complained and said I was uncomfortable and I don't want to work, it wasn't taken seriously because we're on JobKeeper, we're being paid to work, we must work. Like it would be scabbing if we didn't go to work as if like us not wanting to work in a pandemic was selfish because we were getting paid off for it. It's it's wild, right? There's just, there's this real lack of interest in our safety and health because we should just be grateful that we still have a job, right? And this precariousness is why we can't fucking relax. The author of that article talked about how like two years ago, she was in the emergency room for a health crisis and the thing she was most concerned about was like texting her boss that she can't come into work tomorrow. And she was saying how like she was more afraid of her boss being angry at her than her fucking health crisis when she was literally in the emergency room for. And if that isn't a reflection of the current work environment, I don't know what is. I am the same. Like when I am sick, the what's I'm not fucking worried about my health. I'm like worried that like I have to tell my manager that I can't come in or I'm worried that fuck now I have to go and find a cover. And the stress of like calling seven different stores trying to find a cover when like I'm literally vomiting and like dying. <laughs> you know, it's just this it's so toxic and this new year stuff I feel like really reinforces it because it's like we can say all we want. I'm going to put my my health first. I'm going to put myself first. You know, I'm going to take more breaks. I'm going to stop being so hard on myself. But honestly, like it's not your fault that you're hard on yourself and it's not your fault that you haven't been taking those breaks and that you haven't been putting yourself first because when we try to do that, we are met with so much resistance and punishment from our workplace or like just society in general, just whatever it is that you're currently committed to that doesn't give you a fucking break, right? And that's the problem with a lot of self-care culture, I think at the moment that comes with New Year's. Even like, and this is aside from the toxic kind of like, body image shit that comes out of new years that like just prompts eating disorders the idea that you have to you have to lose weight a lot of you guys replied losing weight um as part of your new year's resolutions and it made me really sad because it's okay that if you want if you want to change your body for yourself that is fine but i guarantee a lot of people are only feeling that way because they are being sold insecurities and being sold ideas of what their bodies should look like and what they should be doing and everybody should be losing weight at new year's that's what it is. A lot of you guys are talking about like weight loss, exercise, gym. And while I, it's fine to want to lose weight and to want to exercise, we can't deny that this comes from a toxic place, right? So there's already these ideas of brokenness, of imperfection, of we must strive for improvement and betterness. And that comes in the form of controlling our body and working more. You know, it's just even our ideas of what make good human beings always come down to control, perfection, beauty, work. And then, you know, and then if we go into self-care culture, which is just a farce in itself, because you know what? Doing a face mask is not going to fix my depression. Having like a basic universal income might. <laughs> just things like that. It's like it's, f- people aren't stressed because like they're just stressed. They're stressed because you have to make ends meet. They're stressed because there are so many things we have to do and it's all just been exacerbated because of COVID where so many people have lost jobs or like are on Centrelink for the first time and stuff like that. You know, it is just, it's stressful. We are not actually as in control of our health and well-being as we should be because we live with precarious jobs and a government that doesn't support us. 
And like you were saying uh, with the, all the responses we got, I feel like a lot of them fit into, for the people who wanted to do New Year's resolutions, they sort of sat in two categories. Some were a desire to be more productive, people talking about their career or even in their own lives, wanting to do more, to read more, to do things very specifically. But then a lot of the others were about mindfulness. You know, they want to take more time for themselves. They want to maybe be better at disengaging. And I think that's really good, but I just want to, I guess, put forward some skepticism uh, that I've been reading a lot about recently. And I think it will, I guess, help clarify your own approaches uh, to this big lifestyle trend of being present, of being mindful, etc. So there's a really great passage from Jenny O'Dell's book called How to Do Nothing, which I think really captures my skepticism towards the apparent benefits of unplugging, of being mindful, of checking emails less, and all that. She says, If doing nothing requires space and time away from the unforgiving landscape of productivity, we might be tempted to conclude that the answer is to turn our backs to the world, temporarily or for good. But this response would be short-sighted. All too often, things like digital detox retreats are marketed as a kind of life hack for increasing productivity upon a return to work. Ultimately, what she's saying is that it's never about doing nothing for the sake of nothing. It's not about mindfulness for the sake of being mindful. It's about taking a break so you can re-enter the workforce feeling refreshed and ready to be more productive than ever. While I really encourage being mindful, you got to be careful of who's telling you to be mindful, why you're being mindful, and if the goal of being mindful is to really work on yourself and to be have more autonomy and to feel like you can control your life better, or if it's so you can be a better worker or you can get your career in order. You know, it's stuff like that. And it's really the way mindfulness, digital detox, unplugging, which can be really great things, can actually then be turned back onto us. Uh, because, I mean, we see all these white-collar workplaces, employers stressing the importance of mindfulness. Often, I mean, we see this more so in America, uh, employers will book digital detox retreats. And why is that? It's because when they do it, they don't learn how to be present or how to gain autonomy on their life. They come back to work feeling more refreshed and to be more productive and to be better workers. And I say this because, you know, as we saw in our responses and on the top of every article about resolutions, it seems like taking a break from technology, taking a break from everything, it seems to be number top, number one on everything. And it's because of the attention economy. It's about the way that social media and digitized workplaces have sort of destroyed our mind and destroyed our sense of free time. Like we're all feeling it. But the thing is, is that the people who are now publicly disavowing the sort of the dangerous attention economy of social media are the Silicon Valley executives that created this environment in the first place. I mean, you see that with like the social dilemma, which I haven't seen personally, but- Wait, is this that documentary? Yeah, it's that Netflix documentary. This is the one that like everyone is telling me to watch, but I haven't done it because I know I'm going to hate myself after I watch it. I mean, we also (laughs) study media, so I think we already know exactly everything. It's what we've been talking about for years. But I just like, I haven't watched it because I just like don't even want to think about it right now. (laughs) But who are the interviewees in that? documentary, you know, it's the executives, it's the employers of Google, Facebook, etc. that actually designed the conditions that have sort of ruined our attention and ruined the digital landscape. And now it's these people who want to create committees. Well, I think there's like the Committee for Humane Digital Use or something like that. Like, are we going to trust these people to get our life back in order? Like, no, they're just selling us the solution to the problem that they created, right? Uh, I think I see ads all the time for Calm, you know, that meditation app. Yes. And I'm sure it's really, I'm sure it's actually effective because the thing it's built upon 
is you know proven to work, to proven to help people. But it's just another Silicon Valley startup that has come to commodify actually really valuable things like mindfulness and just being present. But the truth is, is that you can do all these things without buying an Apple Watch that tells you to meditate every you know quarter of an hour. Like all these things are possible, but we are taught that they're only possible if you buy these books to unlock that aspect of knowledge or buy this new tech device that will help you, that will remind you to be mindful. But the thing is that we don't need the pressures of capitalism to do it. We can do this on our own and we don't need to buy certain books or certain products. We can just, you know, oh, I'll have to wait for a specific time of the year. We can just do it. We can just do shit, guys. Time isn't real. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like that was really insidious. I didn't mean it to be. Um, But yeah. Think that I think I think that ended nicely, Mitch. I think your little you. little monologue was. I think we have ended there. That was good. Before we end this episode, uh, we have our Patreon question of the week. On our page, we have a question box for our top two tier patrons, where you can ask us absolutely anything, and we'll pick one at random each week. So this week, Liz asks, "I'd like to hear more about how you both became vegan or vegetarian, and your thoughts on intersection intersectionality within veganism." I've been vegan for a few years, but I'm starting to see that it's not the clear cut eat animal equals evil issue that I thought it was. Very good question. We're actually um, going to do an episode probably in the next month or two on white veganism. So I love your question and we'll answer it short. We'll answer a short one now, but we'll do an elaborate one later. Um, I personally became vegetarian initially for climate change reasons. Um, I was already eating a lot of vegetarian food anyway because I'm Muslim, so I'd only be eating halal meat. And generally, a lot of places don't do halal meat, so I would just get vegetarian options. It was a pretty easy transition for me. I'm, like, low-key trying to transition into veganism. I'm not doing a great job at it, but I'm one of those, like, I mostly, like, I eat a lot of vegan food, but I don't, like, say I'm going to be a vegan because I'm scared of getting yelled at. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, for me, it started off as climate change reasons and then kind of grew into everything else. And Mitch and I kind of went vegetarian at the same time, and then he went vegan. Yeah, I mean, I went vegan just because I couldn't really think of a reason not to be vegan. Uh, I think this whole time, you know, I was eating meat, really I knew that I couldn't really justify it. So that, you know, transitioned to me going vegetarian, uh, which I always saw as a transitionary leap to go eventually go vegan. Because again, I can't, I can't see uh, dairy products or byproducts being really justifiable in any reasonable sense. And that applies to most people. But speaking about like the white veganism aspect, I do think that is a very serious issue. And like, you see a lot of vegan communities, both in real life or, or things I see online, that solely focus on veganism and sort of exclude every other political issue. Uh, and I think it's really limiting both to the other issues that they're excluding, but also it doesn't really have create a cohesive worldview on protecting animals' lives and maintaining an ethical life. Yeah, I feel like when we talk about intersectionality within veganism and white veganism, probably one of the biggest issues with white veganism is that they will protect animals at the expense of brown people. <laughs> I guess that, like, the issue with white veganism is just, there isn't just an all-around respect for living. It's like there's a blame on brown communities or indigenous communities or ethnic communities for being, like, disgusting meat eaters without any criticism on, like, their own white communities who are also meat eaters. Like, my issue, I guess, with white vegans... Um, a is just a complete disinterest in discussing the fact that a lot of ethnic communities have been vegan for a very long time and it's not like a white thing, first of all. But like second of all, also just like I see a lot of white vegans like talk about um, like, you know, maybe like 
remote African tribes or like indigenous nations that eat, you know, animals. And they'll like talk about how gross that is. And then they just like straight up start to become fucking colonialists. And they just talk about how we should like colonize these brown people and stop them from eating animals because how unjust. And there is just like no self-awareness or like concept of like, you are literally going to be like engaging in genocide if you do that. Like what the fuck is wrong with you? So there is a huge issue in vegan community, like in especially white vegan communities with racism, cultural appropriation. There's a lot of um, like exploiting the land of indigenous brown people to yield their like vegan food. So there are like a lot of food politics. I would recommend following like a vegan hip hop movement, which is an Instagram account Mitch introduced me to. Uh, I think it was you that showed it to me, Mitch. I yeah. can't remember. Um, that it's really good, like decolonialized perspective on veganism. It's like a lot about Black and Indigenous veganism. I really recommend it on Instagram if you want to learn more about that. Cool. Well, thanks for the question, Liz. Uh, this episode is sponsored by you, our listeners. Uh, specifically, we'd like to thank Beck, Everett, Katie, Sarah, Belle, Lucia, Liz, Rochelle, and Naya. So thank you so much. If you thought our discussion today was interesting, thought-provoking, or something you learned from, please consider donating to our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Saliha. If signing up isn't your thing, you can also donate to our PayPal link at paypal.me forward slash Saliha to support future episodes. Both the PayPal and Patreon links are in my Instagram bio, so check them out over there at Saliha Official and give me a follow if you like today's episode. And follow my Instagram at mitches.miscellanea for discussions around film, music, and books. Also, if you have any comments or suggestions or you want to add to the discussion, you can DM me or email us at podcast at gmail.com and please include your name, pronouns and any other important info. And of course, remember to follow and subscribe. It really helps the podcast get out there. Bye. Bye. Bye.